Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. I'm going to be reading, and there's some Bibles under your chairs. I'm going to be going through quite a bit of passages, and uh, you should be able to just listen to me read them, but it'll, uh, it'll help if you can follow along. Um, one announcement that I didn't remind Butch to say, um, so that's on me, but uh, the Good Old Witcher Nursing Home called me a, a little while ago um, and had asked if, we would, if I would maybe come speak, and I asked, you know, would we be able to maybe bring some people to sing? So we did that, I think, last month or maybe two months ago, but uh, they called back, and, and so we are, we're going to try this out for now, and hopefully it can grow, but the second Sunday of every month for the foreseeable future, I'm going to be going and giving a lesson at the, the Good All Witcher Nursing Home. But I can guarantee you that they would much rather uh, it be 25 minutes of singing and five minutes of me talking. Like they enjoy that more. And so I'm just going to let y'all know every second Sunday of the month, if you want to go ahead and just plan, what you'll have to do is show up at the nursing facility. They'll take your temperature. And then if you're good, we'll go in and we'll, we'll get to sing uh, together. And I, it will be at 2 p.m. most every time. I, I'm, it should be every time, but if it ever has to adjust, I'll let you know. But just wanted to let you know about that. And for me, the more the merrier, you know. So, uh, and if you don't think you're a good singer, it doesn't matter. Uh, they can't hear you anyway. I'm just kidding. But uh, I think I think that uh, one thing that's really cool was just just how much uh, you can tell. When I went the first time, there were maybe four or five people there, and the nursing facility kept apologizing. You know, sorry, there's not more. You know, this is a prime napping time, and you know, we're just not there for there to be a big crowd. We're there even if just one person comes out to be with us. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. So today is what I would consider one of my uh, core messages. I, I don't know if you, in your time of having preachers or having ministers, you know, there's, there's a certain message that if they get asked to go somewhere and teach a lesson, that they maybe, this is maybe one of their ones that they use. You know what I mean? Like they've got three to five sermons that's, that's their sermon that they could close their eyes and preach. Or, um, and, and I would say this sermon is, this whole series for me revolves around this sermon that I'm about to preach, except it's probably going to feel a whole lot more like a Bible class than a sermon, so just bear with me. But I, my mentor at ACU, Randy Harris, this is one of his core messages. It's the one I've heard him speak and give the, the most frequently. And uh, it's rubbed off on me. And I would say uh, this or something about eternal moments are two of my sermons that are, this is me in my bag, as the kids like to say, okay? So I'm not going to go through all of Mark, but I am going to probably articulate, I'm going to jump around Mark a little bit. I hope to do a Mark series someday, and hopefully some of the things I say today uh, don't sound redundant whenever I get to the Mark series, but first I kind of have to lay a foundation for this lesson. So first thing Mark does, does Mark start with a birth narrative? No. Mark and John are two of our Gospels that for some reason don't start with and Mary saw an angel. That's just not where Mark wanted to start his gospel. Mark starts his gospel by laying down the foundation of Jesus' power and his authority. And you see it very rapidly. Okay, so if you turn in your Bibles to Mark 1, verse 23 through 28. Like I said, I'm going to jump around quite a bit. Um, 
Mark 1, 23, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and, a, and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him quickly spread over the whole region of Galilee. So, first note, Jesus has power and authority over demons and impure spirits. Now let's go to the ne- Immediately after that, it says, As soon as they left the synagogue, Mark is always in a rush in his story. He's like, as soon as this happened, next. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. Immediately, immediately. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was." Someday when I do the Mark series, I'll explain this thing, but you're going to see over and over Mark does this thing where Jesus tells people not to tell anyone. And it's a kind of a unique thing about Mark. He'll heal somebody or he'll do something and he'll say, hey, don't tell anybody about this. And it's a Mark, it's a Mark thing, but uh, we'll get there someday. I was going to talk about it today, but I decided to save it. Um, but now we see Jesus has a power, the, a power, power and authority over demons and now sickness and, and illness and fever. Now, continuing on, uh, uh, the next section I'm trying to think. I think it's Mark 2, verses, starting in verse 23. I hope I'm right. Does Mark 2, 23 start with one Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields? Okay, Mark 2, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some head of grain. The Pharisees said to them, Look what they are doing. What is, they are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he went? He and his companions were hungry and in need. In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So pretty immediately, and I skipped a couple stories, but you're seeing one after the other, where Jesus is laying the groundwork of, listen, I have a power and authority over everything, over sickness, over demons, over the Sabbath. I'm the guy. I have power and authority. And then we get to what is the climactic section of the story. This is what my professor would call the hinge of Mark. Because basically from Mark 1 all the way to Mark 8, it's just constant about how Jesus has power and authority and how the people in power and authority, the Pharisees, are really not pleased with what he's doing. That is the battle that's going on. Jesus is showing, just, look just how much I have. I can feed thousands of people. Look at everything I can do. And it's coming to a climax where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are basically like, listen, this guy... He's got it all, and we got to do something about it because he's fringing on our territory, our power and authority. And then we get to Mark 8, the hinge of the gospel of Mark. And in Mark 8, starting in verse 27, Jesus and his disciples... Yeah, I'll give you a second. Turn to Mark 8, verse 27. 
Jesus and his disciples went on to the the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? You can tell word has spread, despite him telling people not to spread the word. Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, You are the Messiah, the anointed one. That's what the word Messiah means in Hebrew. You are the anointed one. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. More of that Mark secret stuff. It's called the, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, It's got a fancy uh, Bible uh, scholar phrase, but there's another example. Like I said, we'll get to that someday. So you have this scene where Peter proclaims the truth of who Jesus is. He says, you are the one. You're the guy. You're the person we've been waiting for. You're him. And then in the very next verse, Jesus says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now we got this classic story that everyone's always very confused by. So, the scene you're supposed to see is they're walking along, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's like, who do people say I am? And they're talking, and, and Peter says the right answer. You're the representative, the Mishayach. You're the anointed one. And he's like, you're right. And then he says, let me tell you about the Messiah. Let me tell you about the Son of Man from Daniel 7. He's going to be the one that the elders are going to reject, and he's the one that they're going to kill. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. And Peter says, Jesus, come here real quick. i got to talk to you, man. And he pulls him aside, and he rebukes him. And you can picture Peter basically saying, like, hey, Jesus, that's not what's going to happen. Like, that's not the job of the Messiah. This Messiah, the Messiah is supposed to come in, supposed to kick out the bad guys, supposed to get the Roman Empire out of here. You're supposed to come riding in on a white horse with the cavalry, with swords blazing. You're going to kill them all, and then we're going to be back to the way it's supposed to be. You missed that part of the story. That's what the Messiah is. So here's the question. Did Peter actually know who Jesus was earlier? Yes and no. He knew he was the Messiah, but he was not the Messiah that Peter was looking for when Jesus told him that. And what does Jesus say? But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, and he said, Get behind me, Satan. He said, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Do you know the only other time where Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan? It's whenever, I think it's in Matthew, not in Mark. In Matthew, whenever Satan is trying to tempt Jesus to be the kind of king and Messiah that he wants him to be. And here we see these two parallel situations. And here is where there'd be a big old main point up on the screen if you're a note taker, where we see that there is the way of power and there's the way of the cross. Because you see, Peter is a bandwagon follower. All right? How many of you know what the phrase bandwagon fan are? Anybody know what that is? Okay? So there was a time in the 70s and in the 90s where there were a ton of bandwagon Cowboys fans because they were winning all the time. And if you wanted to be the team that was going to the Super Bowl, you were a Cowboys fan. I have zero memory of that. So nobody can call me a bandwagon Cowboys fan. I've only known mediocrity, okay? (laughs) 
Now, your previous minister, probably a huge bandwagon Packers fan. No, I'm just kidding. But, but you know what a bandwagon fan is. It's someone who doesn't pay attention, but whenever the, the team's doing good, whenever things are rolling, they jump on board. You know, I can picture, you know, the Cubs didn't have the greatest season in the world last year, right, in football. It wasn't the greatest season ever to say the least. But let's just imagine that they had won maybe one or two more games. And in the last game of the year, they happened to sneak into the playoffs. And then they happened to win the first playoff game. And they happened to win the second playoff game. And before you know it, the whole school's got, you know, Cubs, you know, their faces are painted, they're wearing the playoff. But some of the faithful fans would kind of say, hey, where were you when we, like, weren't winning any of the games? You with me? But the ones who jumped on board were the ones that joined when things were going good, okay? Peter is riding on the power train of Jesus. Picture the train, you know, the bandwagon. And all that the disciples see is they see their meal ticket. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth. Dude, have you seen this guy? This guy is kicking out demons out of people. This guy's got the real power. Have you seen this guy? He can just heal people. And he lets me be in his little crew. Man, we are on the path to the best life, the power life, the glory life. Have you seen he's got authority in teaching? He's got authority over the Sabbath. He can feed thousands of people. This guy is the man. You with me? And so whenever Jesus says, who do you say I am? Peter's taking his shot. He's like, you're the king. You're the Messiah. You're the powerful one. And Jesus says, you're right. Now let me tell you what the powerful one looks like. The powerful one looks like someone who's going to be rebuked and rejected. It's going to be killed, persecuted, and is going to die. And Peter says, that's not what I'm signing up for. Everything we've seen in the Gospel of Mark for Peter and the other disciples is, I'm signing up for all this good stuff. The gravy train, the whatever phrase you want to use of, I'm on, I, I put myself in with the right team. Here we go. You know, I'm, I'm in great shape. And what Peter believed was, I'm on this path to everything going great. Jesus is saying, that is the way of power. That is not the way of me or the way of the cross. And right after Jesus calls, tells him, get behind me, Satan. Quit trying to distract me from my actual purpose. Quit trying to convince me, just like Satan did with Jesus in Matthew and Mark and Luke. In the temptations, where it says, hey, how about you be a king who acts like this? How about you be a king who kneels to me and I'll give you all this power? And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. The same kind of thing is what he's saying to Peter. You are trying to convince me that why I came here was to be about power. But that's not why I came. And so we get this great follow-up from Jesus in 834. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said... Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. We as Christians use the phrase, take up your cross, very symbolically. He is also being symbolic, but he's also not being symbolic, okay? He's literally saying, if you want to be on this ride, the path that I'm on, it is a path of cruelty and death and pain, not a path of riches and power and glory and honor. Now, Obviously, the true irony is, is when you go on the way of Jesus, that's where the only place where you'll find true power, true honor, true glory, true life. But it's not going to look like it while you're on the road. Okay? Let me keep reading. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, the good news, will save it. 
What good, is it, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. And so here's the next big point that I would put on the screen. And like I said, this is one of my, if you're going to hear me, repeat sermons. So far, I have not repeated a sermon since I've been here. But when the day comes, this will be one of them that I repeat. When we lose the way of the cross, write this down. When we lose the way of the cross, we lose the message of the cross. You with me? When we lose the way and the path of Jesus to the cross, we lose the message of Jesus and the cross. Because to Jesus, the message, I'll I'll go ahead and spoil it. You know what the secret is? You know why Jesus says, don't tell anyone? It's because when people see him doing all these miracles, they say, I want to be a part of that. But he knows if you're only in it for all the miracles and all the good stuff, you're following the wrong Messiah. But if you're in it for the way of the cross, you're signing up for the right king. And 99% of us do not want to sign up for the cross. But Jesus tells us that's the way. Okay? So let me give you some examples. Some, in my opinion, some examples of this in life. This is the primary example that I see this in the world today. And it's one that I don't think I'm going to offend anybody by saying this, but it's the world of politics. You ready? I don't know if any of you in here are running for senator or something, so I'm sorry if this offends you. But in my opinion, I don't know how anyone on either party gets to a certain level of running for Senate or anything without at some level having to sell their soul to different things along the way. You with me? Okay. They've got to find the person that says, hey, listen, if you want a thousand more votes, you've got to do this. Well, wait a second. That kind of compromises my integrity or my ethics. I don't really believe in that, but I really want those thousand votes. And you know what? Once I get those thousand votes, then I'll be in a situation where I can use my ethics and my integrity to make the right decisions from there. That whole cat and mouse game of, I serve a king who tells me I need to be empty of power, but how am I going to make any change if I don't get the power to be able to make the changes? You with me? And so in the world of politics, at some level, you have had to lose the power, your powerlessness in order to gain power. And over and over, in my opinion, the second you compromise the way of the cross, you have compromised the message of the cross. You cannot be someone who says, well, my king and my savior who I follow is all about emptying themselves. So I'm going to do some things for me just long enough. And then once I get to power, I can do some things for others. That's not how it works. You with me? Another example of something where we see this at work is if a teenager is wanting to be in a certain friend group, And at some point or another, the friend group says, hey, if you want to be a part of our group, that annoying or special needs kid, we've got to make fun of them, or we've got to ignore them, or they can't be invited to the birthday party. You with me? And guess what? What if that kid says to themselves, well, you know, I I, I don't really agree with that. That's not part of my who I am. But you know what? If I can just do that real quick and then be a part of this friend group, then I can be a good Christian influence from inside that friend group. You know, I can, I can get in there and make a difference. That's not how it works. The second you do that, you have left the way of the cross, and you have taken a different route, and you 
have lost the message of the cross that you were wanting to proclaim in the group. Does that make sense? You've lost your ability to say that in the group because you sold yourself to the other way, okay? The way of power. And this is what we see throughout the gospel over and over. And in our walk of life, we live naturally as part of who we are as people. We like to be on the winning team. We like to be on the team that is a lot more fun, has a lot more power, gets our way. Drew, how are we going to compete with these different things going on in our world if we don't use the same games and strategies that they use that are winning? You with me? We see different things that are not of God in our world that are winning, quote unquote, that are winning the day. And we say as Christians, well, we've got to take it back. We've got to win back. We've got to take over again. We've got to have this our way. But guess what? The second we use the ways of their ways to win things back, we've lost the message because we didn't keep the way of the cross. And you might be hearing me and you might be thinking, well, Drew, does that mean we just roll over? Does that mean we just let things go? It doesn't mean we roll over. But you know what it means? It means that we will be rejected, we will be rebuked, and we will carry a cross and we will die. And that might sound like losing to you, because it is. But the message of the gospel is when we lose in this life, we win in the one that counts. You with me? Okay? And I don't like losing just as much as you. Actually, I'm not the most competitive person in my family, but I don't like losing. And yet, the question that Jesus is asking his disciples, and he's looking at Peter and he's saying, I know you think you're a part of the power train right now. You're a part of the path that leads to awesomeness. But that's not the train that I'm on. I'm on a different train that leads to death. But if you want to be a part of this path, this way with me, you will gain your life when it matters most. Okay? And the question that you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to purposely play a losing game in your life today, knowing that the one that counts, you'll be winning? And that's a difficult place to be. Are you willing today to be a part of the losing team on purpose? Because the story of Revelation, if you want to sum up the whole book of Revelation, is that there's two teams, one that's going to win and one that's going to lose. But in this life, the one that is winning today is the one that's going to lose eventually. And in this life, the one that looks like you're losing today is the one that's going to win eventually. That is the message of Revelation. That's the message of what Jesus is saying here. So what I want to encourage you is that anytime you find yourself in your day, your week, your work, your life with your family, you're going to have moments where you see that there's a way that I could go about this that looks like powerful, using my power, my influence to manipulate, to take control, to be in charge. But God, I have good motives. I want to be in control so I can do good things. The second you go the way, that way, you have compromised the message of selflessness and powerlessness. And you've compromised our message as Christians and followers of Christ. So I encourage you, if any of you have any prayers, if any of you have anything that you need, if any of you would like to know what it means to join the losing team, to join the team where it is the downward way, the way of the cross, the way of powerlessness, that is my invitation to you. My invitation to you, whether now or later in this week, don't come to the... Don't come to this team because it's going to mean your life is going to look like a winning life. Come to this team because you know it's the one that will lose in this life, but will win in the one that's most important while we stand and sing this song.